Hi, good morning, everybody. We're going to start this off, and um, we have a great conversation today. Um, as we have been having these conversations about inclusion and diversity, we've really focused a lot about above the line, and now we really need to focus below the line and really talk about how we make these crews more inclusive that is starting through that we are starting to see on screen. So uh, it's a great conversation that Wendy curated. Um, Stand on that end is Benjamin Bond, Starcross Entertainment, also a director of The Drifters. Is that correct? That's right. If I get anything wrong, just let me know. It's, it's week right. two. <laughs> Rachel Fung, producer of Little Woods. And Monique Walton, producer of Bull, which is played in Uncertain Regard. Sita <laughs> Kumar, the CEO of Screen Skills. And I have over here Jen Smith, head of inclusion at the BFI. So what I thought we would do is um, have you all just kind of really start off and give people a baseline of what you do. And I feel like we'll start with the people who are in organizations first, and then people who, uh, production companies, movies, and things like that. So Jen, can you just kind of start us off on, give us a baseline of what your work is on inclusion? Um, just like a minute or two. Sure. Um, so my name's Jen Smith, I'm Head of Inclusion at the British Film Institute. We've got a series of policy interventions that we're putting together to really drive inclusion uh, in the UK and beyond. And specifically today, I'm going to kind of drill down and talk about two. One is our diversity standards, which address underrepresentation in front of the camera, leadership and crew behind the camera, entry level and pipelines in, and also distribution and audiences and also the guidance and principles that we wrote last year to address workplace culture within the industry. Um, as you can see, I'm wearing my Time's Up t-shirt today, amplifying those messages, but also we're really connected with a lot of other organizations doing great work across the industry. So I'm an ambassador for the Disabled Artists Networking Collective who are hosting a meeting, uh, their first meeting in the South region of the UK next week part of a mental health uh, industry-wide consultation and foundation run by the UK film charity. Um, Sajid Varda is setting up the UK Muslim film charity and the BFI are supporting that as well. And our deputy CEO, Ben Roberts, is an executive sponsor of the BAME Alliance, which is specifically looking at leadership in the creative industries. So um, we're also working with the Jowood Foundation on socioeconomic inequality. So, our job is really to be glue, to be connection, to create the opportunity to amplify these important messages, to shift the dial, to look at, instead of loading the responsibility onto individuals to drive inclusion, to actually make meaningful infrastructure change. So I'll talk a bit more and expand on our diversity standards and bullying harassment work um, that we've put in place, but that's the point of it, you know, it's about moving the industry on instead of loading the responsibility onto individuals to drive change. Wonderful. Sita? Uh, my name is Sita Kumar and I'm the CEO of Screen Skills. We are the industry skills body which looks at skills and talent across the screen sector. And by the screen sector, I mean film, television, visual effects, animation and games. For us, inclusion is at the heart of everything we do. I don't see it as the other. I think anything, everything you do, it's about being inclusive in walking the walk, making sure you build it in from the start, from the way you get in, all the practices, the support you might need to offer in a very fragmented freelance workforce to how you help people move up in the kind of bursary support you offer to enable that to happen, in how you encourage women returners, carers, enable transferers from other sectors to work in our wonderful, exciting sector. And more critically, and this is something for me, who has worked in tele for a very long time, is really important, is retention and progression. Because we do a lot of work, and I've heard this all my life, about entry level, and that's really important. But for me, progression, how you move people up, particularly in a sector and a world where there aren't clear progression pathways, you zigzag your way up. I did that myself in my career. How do you enable people to see the pathways? How do you enable people to move up, step up, de-risk it? I hate that word risk, because every job is a risk. But how do you enable people to progress and retain and change our leadership culture? For me, that's the big deal. So we live and breathe it, and that's what we do. Okay. 
<laughs> can you pass? Uh, can you pass your mic on? So I um, got into producing when uh, I moved to Texas to go to the University of Texas for grad school. And that's where I met Annie Silverstein, who's the director of Bull, the film that premiered um, this year in certain regard. Um, we came to... We're not related. Huh? You're not related, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Annie Silverstein. <laughs> uh, we came to Cannes in 2014 with a short film called Skunk that played in Cine Foundation. Um, and uh, it won the top prize there, which um, helped us kind of launch into this feature that we premiered here. Um, we, I, I kind of am interested in both fiction and documentary and uh, worked um, with youth in Austin, um, youth of color, uh, using storytelling as a way for them to kind of address you know, issues in their lives. And that was part of Annie's background as well. She worked as a social worker for 10 years before getting into film. And I think that that was kind of what drew us together and also kind of um, helped us kind of create a process for, uh, for working on films with, you know, largely in the community with, you know, real people. We have a lot of non-actors in our film um, and we have a lot of, um, uh, we, we just, we work in such a way that's kind of like, it's not really documentary, but it uses some of those techniques that we, that we learned from documentary. So that's kind of how I got into to filmmaking um, and, uh, and into producing. Um, we'll, we'll come back to the other questions, the yeah. specific questions. Okay. Rachel. Uh, I'm Rachel Fung. I'm originally an Australian, but I've been based in New York for the last 12 years. I'm trying to work with filmmakers that were sort of, um, had some sort of social message um, in, their, in their films. So the first feature that I produced was Little Woods, uh, which starred Tessa Thompson and Lily James with um, first-time female director Nia DaCosta. Um, we just released about a month ago in the US um, and over the, over the weekend in Australia, so mom is really happy about that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I am actively trying to work with more female filmmakers, um, people of color, uh, as someone who is an Asian, I'm really interested in seeing more Asian faces on screen. Um, but I think that it is just as important to have representation on screen as behind the camera as well. Um, I think that there is a huge systematic issue with, with how our industry works and the ease of moving up the ladder, as you said. Um, and I, I feel like there is it is slowly changing, which is positive, but I think we need to do more steps and um, actively try and you know help people make those steps forward. Um, hi, I'm Ben Bond. Uh, I'm writer and director of a movie called The Drifters, uh, which we just completed, which is a migration romance story. Um, and I'm also the founder of uh, Starcross Entertainment. Starcross produces and finances film and television. I'm a kind of, I suppose, a reasonably unusual company in terms of UK and perhaps our makeup as well. Um, we're half British, half um, Arab at the top. And um, we are completely decentralized, so we don't have an office so that the people who work with us and our staff can design their working lives, <clears throat> can design, yeah, design their working, their work around their lives rather than the other way around. Um, and, you know, we try very hard to, we're, we're interested in financing um, and creating stories in the English language, but outside of the UK and outside of North America. So um, we have projects in Latin America, in India, um, and in the MENA region. And we just feel, I suppose, our philosophy, both in terms of uh, <clears throat> on-screen, off-screen, and, and in general, is that the, the best motivator for inclusivity is that it's going to improve your bottom line because you're going to have a better product at the end of it. Um, and I think there are other reasonably, without sort of trying to dumb down, but any, anything there is reasonably simple solutions, most of which are down to money. Um, I think if people had been equally paid for equal work for a long time, we wouldn't be having this panel. I think that's at the root um, of uh, a lot of the issues because um, as soon as you can level out that playing field, um, 
in terms of finance, uh, then everything follows and it follows much quicker. So my solution would be to chuck money at it. Not, not necessarily my own. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the, da uh, the data says basically if you have diversity at the top of your film or your organization, you're going to have it below the line and for every position, whether you're in an office or you're on a film. But um, you know the, the statistics really show like if you have a woman uh, uh, directing film, you're gonna have a more diverse crew. So I guess what I really want to ask you guys because this is all about disruption and changing the industry. And so we wanna do solutions and really give people um, you know, best practices to be successful. And there's, you know, some will work for some people and won't work for other people, but we all just, we need to kind of keep pushing forward on this. So uh, the first question I wanted to ask you, and of course, base it on whether you're an organization or on a film, what are the toughest issues you face in your work to build more inclusive crews? Like what is like the bugaboo to do it? And money I know, but you know, really, Let's dig in a little on this. I think this is one of the most important things. So um, I, I don't want to do it in order, but whoever feels like they want to start, just go for it. Monique, you look like okay. you're chomping at that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think, you know, just having, uh, having done this for the first time, mm -hmm. I definitely think, uh, you know, that was, it was a, definitely a priority for us to have an inclusive crew. Do you know what your crew makeup was? I meant to look up those numbers. <laughs> um, we, yeah, I don't have percentages. I okay, feel like, but I feel okay. like in all of our in all of our departments, we had people of color okay. um, and women and uh, department heads. You had female uh, department heads. Female department heads. Our um, our DP is black from Antigua, um, and he had a and he had female uh, camera support team ACs. And did you crew from Austin? Well, the, well, we shot in Houston, so I was going to say, I, you know, when I look back on it, I think it, I think we definitely could have done better. Um, but I, I think there were some challenges in in the sense that, like, we shot in Houston, okay. um, which is not as much of a hub for film as Austin is, um, and also Texas in general right now. A lot of the um, crew has left because of the uh, the state tax incentives have gone away, and so a lot of productions aren't in Texas anymore. Um, so we had, so we were in Houston, we were bringing a lot of people in from out of town, um, and it was challenging. I mean, I think that we, you know, at one point I was just hoping that there was like a local kind of database that could just help because it is, you know, like, like what you were saying about like putting it on the individual when we're kind of pulling it all together, when it really comes down to like the day to day, it really does take time of like finding people, getting those recommendations really like, and then, and then we were on a shoot that was um, long for an independent film. It was, um, it was uh, 40 days in Houston in the summer. Um, most people don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> in general, <laughs> so that already uh, created a smaller pool of people who wanted to work on our film. And then beyond that, and it was an indie, it wasn't like, you know, commercially paid work. So I think that um, we definitely came up against some, some walls as far as like really kind of being able to attract a lot of crew, so yeah. Jump right in. Um, I think without a doubt, having worked outside of the industry, the complexity for us in driving this agenda forward is the nature of the freelance world in with which we work. So just to give you some UK statistics, about 88,000 people working in the film industry, about 66,000 working in production. And of that, 89% of them are freelance. Now that's an awful lot of coffee shop hiring going on. I mean, you know, there's never a better time to make a film in the UK right now, but what we are trying to do as the BFI is use our voice as a funder, we're not a regulator, but to use our voice to be um, a useful change agent, to give people the tools to, to work within the freelance agenda and still push things on. So the diversity standards were established in about 2014 and we've evolved them following that. They initially were set up for uh, productions and festivals that we uh, funded ourselves, but BAFTA have come on board, so I know they're the criteria for two main award categories, BBC Film, Film 4, so all public funding in the UK is contingent on working with the diversity standards, and the point of them is, is that Do they make you... know what the diversity standards are he here? Do you all know them? 
I'll yeah, give you a quick us, rattle through yeah, again. I think that's okay. really important. So yeah, representation in front of the camera, leadership and crew behind the camera, entry levels and talent development into the industry, and also distribution and audiences. So uh, in the UK, for example, working outside London and Southeast, developing all the talent across our nations and regions would be one good example. So I think, you know, overcoming the complexity of freelance and putting in some good change agent tools which people can access is something that's been really important and leading on from that is our guidance and principles around bullying and harassment because another issue is the experience that people have when they come into the industry so it's great if you're attracting great diverse talent into the industry but what's the experience that they have on set and again creating these tools initially tied to BFI funding but then expanded out across all of the unions and now about 43 organizations using the same thing so driving that consistency and another area where we're trying to drive consistency is monitoring so how you ask the questions about who's in your crew how you're able to evidence that to comply with the standards and it's great that screen skills are using our monitoring form BAFTA are using it so we're growing this sense of really consistent measurement to see how quickly and how fast the dial is changing. Are there any rules against asking about um, people's gender and race in terms of, um, I know because when we were working on the gender parity pledge, there are a lot of countries that you can't, you literally cannot ask those questions. So basically, it's based around UK legislation. Okay. Um, but there is always, you can't force anybody to give their data. It's right. absolutely voluntary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not, it's not an expectation. But what we can do is say, look, if you do give us your data, we can build a better picture of how the industry is moving forward. Right. Okay, great. Please. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and sort of slide. Sorry, shift, uh, focus on some of the positives. The reason I say positive is in all my working life, two things have come center stage in a way it never has. First, skills and talent, because all, we always took it for granted in our world. It just happens. We are creative and there are lots of skills and talent about. Today, it's very much at the center of the debate, which I think is really key, especially if we want to truly professionalize our world-class workforce. The second is inclusion everybody's talking about it much more than they ever did. So those are the positives. The challenges, and you did ask about the challenges, it comes at the perfect storm when we are in the UK dealing with exponential growth. There's technological disruption, business disruption. As a sector, we've always been at the cutting edge of disruption. And so when there's a lot of change and there's lots of skills, gaps, and talent needed, what happens is people are crewing up very quickly, Often projects are greenlit quite late. So when we've got to talk about a perfect storm, how do you effect change? First of all, yes, people do go to their black books. And I'm not someone who says that's the right thing. Having said that, if projects are greenlit late, it's really difficult to plan properly. So we do need to enable that to happen to plan properly. The second thing is there is unconscious bias. Let's be honest about it. It is what happens. How do you shift that? We can do training in unconscious bias and all the great work the BFI is doing, BAFTA is doing, is wonderful. Again, change takes time. What's happening now is productions are getting longer, particularly because of high-end TV and film coming together. And so you have less time to invest in skills and training. There's burnout, people are exhausted, and you need to learn much more. And leadership and management, we assume that you know, a lot of functional skills equal soft skills. They don't. You're dealing with a level of complexity, multi-country deals, huge crew logistics you've never done. How do you provide support? So for me, frankly, change will take time. We need to invest, and I think you mentioned, you do need, I wouldn't say throw money at it, but invest money and do it in a structured, tiered way and make sure we don't give it up. Because if we give up now and we don't do it properly all the way up, every level, what are the standards? How do you upskill people? What does good look like? And how do you get a database of people who've actually achieved those standards, who've got the CV and the credentials, and ensure we change working practices? It is going to take time. But I think there's a will and a wind there, and we can make it happen. So one thing I wanted to build on that was, you know, some I, I worry about people having fatigue about this conversation and I worry about them thinking that there's just too many things to do, I'm not gonna do it. So if you could say to someone who wanted to crew up tomorrow um, and had a little, you know, what would be the first thing you said to them in order to 
to uh, you know make it manageable for them? Sure. Um, it, I mean, there are two parts to this. Okay. First of all, are you looking, I would say, plan? Because even with limited time, I mean, Gareth, who is over there, he's our head of skills and animation, and he's actually produced films, quite a few films, including the Kate speech. And he will tell you that if you really want to meet diversity standards, there's nothing like planning. If you really want to get the right location, you plan. So similarly, if you want to get a diverse crew, plan. So that's one. The second is, Oh, what are we about? We are creative. We're storytellers. You want to tell stories with authenticity. So if you get somebody behind the lens who can actually help you dress a set, think about it. You won't come in with your stereotypes. You will come in and you can actually dress a set in a way that's true, that's authentic. You tell stories that target people's hearts. In the end, isn't that what it's all about? Storytelling, connecting. And that's what I would say is the main reason you have a diverse crew. You bring talent like you've never seen before. You open doors you never knew before. Because my God, all of us are capable of doing amazing things if we get the chance. Great, thank you. And Rachel, talk a little bit about um, what you did for your crew. I know you're a female director, woman of color director, right? Yes. And she was the writer director. She was a writer director first time. Um, and I think, you know, I, one of the issues is that it really is a trickle down effect. And it goes back to what I was mentioning about the systemic issues where I think so many of the quote unquote experienced people are people that then have their crews that, as you said, go to their black book and then hire it. But because it's been an issue for so long, the crews that they automatically think about are not necessarily the most diverse crews because they're the ones that are in the union or they're the ones that are established. They're the ones with the quote unquote experience. And so I think it really is, um, you have to actively you work towards building in diversity and inclusion in your, in your crew. And I think part of that is that people who have traditionally been seen as the other, whether you're, it's like ethnic diversity or it's that you're a woman, you are, or, or LGBTQI, you know, crew members, I think you actively have an interest in seeing, you know, supporting your peers. And so I think there is a, you know, there is a systemic and uh, like a, a, you have to actively choose to hire people. So in Little Woods, we were very proud. We had 50-50 parity with our crew. Um, we hit the diversity incentive with SAG, which is actually, I think, a great thing that would it um, explain that a little? So, so this basically, is the US SAG, yeah, SAG is the um, is the U.S. casting uh, union guild, and basically they represent most of the screen actors. Uh, if you are working in a low budget, they they have different agreements in terms of how much you're expected to pay your cast. But if you hit certain diversity requirements, then you are allowed to be in that tier for a higher budget level. So essentially, they're encouraging people to have casts that are diverse, um, which I actually think is a very good incentive, um, particularly when you're working on a low budget. So we were actively very conscious of making sure that we naturally had a lot of women in the film uh, because it deals with reproductive rights um, and the female experience in, in those towns. Uh, but at the same time, we were actively looking to see how many days are we hiring women um, and that was something also with our crew where we we had a completely female production team, but also as a result, when we were interviewing people, we were conscious about asking people for recommendations. Do you know women? Do you know people of color that we can work with? Knowing that they were probably going to then bring on crew, but we had a female costume designer who brought on her usual standby who was a guy. So it's, it is about, who is best for the role and who is the team, but I also think that there is an active need for us to be conscious of who we're working with because that will affect who then they hire as well. I feel like there needs to be like a submission process where after everyone finishes crewing, there's just like a list that gets input in there and then you can continue just to build on that. Not just a full on database, but like your crew, done. Your crew, done, and there's more lists. Um, can you talk a little bit about Ben? Um, the crew on your film and also your co your company too because that's really interesting I want to uh, come back to that. Yeah sure um, I mean there's there's a few different things I can talk about hopefully in a concise way um, the drifters I have the stats on because I knew I'd get asked um, <laughs> so uh, we had a crew all told with post and everything of around 90 uh, on the film and 30% of it was 
female. Um, I think uh, on screen we had, I mean, it's a, it's a smallish movie, so there are only eight casts, but that was 50-50 parity in terms of people of color. Um, and all of our production team was female. Um, and our HODs were split 50-50 as well. So we're not quite there, but there's a way to go, but I think we did okay. Um, I think the challenges um, are kind of been articulated really well um, already. Uh, I think there isn't a database. You're not gonna get a database that isn't gonna happen. But what you can do, I was reading um, in one of the, um, the, the free magazines that are knocking around here, um, Francis Ford Coppola, and he was saying, you know, when he started, you know, the tradition, especially in America, was for um, senior people, be they in, in creative positions um, and, and through, was you would find somebody who had talent and you would bring them on with you. And I think if that was adopted, um, irrespective of actually inclusion, it would just, it would naturally happen because people would gravitate to people who they wanted to bring on and, and, and give a leg up. And I think, so it would be really useful if people had a commitment to that because now we are more aware. I, I think that will help speed things up. I also think that, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's about self-policing. You know, you, you can't, it's, it's great that um, with institutions um, that, that they can give us the, the legislature and the best practice, but as a producer, as a director, as a casting director, um, you need to make a commitment internally um, and with the people that you know, and you have to say, we're gonna do this because the issues are that, that those people who are talented and that you wanna bring on are out there but you don't know where they are. So you've got to go out and find them. And that takes time. Um, and so your point about planning is absolutely right. Um, and it takes commitment. So you kind of have to have it as a philosophy or ingrained into the culture of your of whatever you're doing. And the, the last thing that I'll say is, you know, the first money, the, fir the first investment we made in Starcross was not into one of our own films. It was into um, uh, uh, a film by Sinistan called The Hungry, which premiered at TIFF in 2017. Um, it wasn't a huge budget, but it was a, a um, Bonilla Chatterjee, Indian female writer, director, a Shakespeare adaptation. I mean, like on paper, this thing was not gonna make money, but um, uh, and yeah, we didn't you know, put in loads of cash, but I wanted to make a commitment to what we were doing. And it was really nice because um, it was actually bought by Amazon um, before we'd finished production. Um, I think that was mainly to do with quotas and of content in India and them needing more English language content. But as an experience, it was like, hey, we made money on our first movie investment, which you know will probably never happen again. <laughs> but um, it kind of re it helped reinforce what we stand for, and I think we're we're going to keep trying to do that. Um, and you know, uh, I think if you can. You know, we, we're not experts, we get things wrong, and, but I think if you can make that commitment and try and lead by example, thereby other people will follow. And I wanna build a little on that leadership piece because um, how it, it all comes from the top. And if you, ha if you don't have the will to make change, and to, to want to have different kinds of people on your crew to make it a more diverse environment, it's never gonna happen. And so, you know, you walk, uh, you still hear stories of people on crews that are just all white men, and anytime a woman walks on there, she is just treated like awful, and those kinds of stories. So it's like, how do you all, um, you know, share your leadership philosophy, and how do you mentor and um, challenge people in the industry to do better, um, because I think that's you know one of the most important things um, of how things will ha change will happen is you know peer to peer holding people accountable. So I, I just wanted to know if any of you had thoughts on that. Um, 
I'm just going to, we are quite fortunate, I'll say, as an organization, uh, because our board is entirely led by industry and very senior people within industry. Everything we do, we have skills councils led by HODs, and we have task and finish group, again, led by practitioners. And what has been brilliant about the way we work is we're working hand in glove with people who've got boots on the ground, who know what's going on. And what that's my point when I said the positive. What I have seen a shift in all my years is there's a real willingness to effect change. I think the challenge is everybody wants it to happen overnight, and that won't happen. And I think we need to be sensible about it. And sometimes there's nothing wrong in constantly talking about some of the skills challenges or indeed the lack of inclusion, because the more you talk about it, the more it gets into people's consciousness. And the other thing is the more successes you have, you have exemplars. And the final fact is pure business sense. I know there's a creative sense, business sense. If you look at who's consuming and if you look at their SWOT disruption, Actually, the demographic that an inclusive workforce and inclusive population provides, frankly, if you don't look after them, they'll go elsewhere. So I think just moving back to our guidance and principles and the importance of leadership and how powerful it has been to have a leader of a production stand up and say, this is how we're going to run this production. This is my expectation of you and this is what your expectation of me should be. And I think actually... What we've seen happening, the um, BFI supported uh, the UK film television charity to set up a 24-7 support line specifically for our industry. Between April and November this year in the UK, they had over 1,500 calls. Not all of those were about workplace culture or bullying, but what happened was generally on the second call, people would be more revealing about a specific issue that had come up. And I think what we didn't have was infrastructure. You know, we, we can't be the police. I completely take Ben's point about industry has to come with us. We can put in the tools to help people do this easily in a scalable way, but it has to be, you know, with industry. Um, but I think that's been really revealing and that people now have places to go. So I think that, you know, poor behavior will become outdated. There are more people, more ways to kind of raise these issues and, and say and seek help and, you know, address the issues of poor culture, which, you know, have created systemic issues around bias and people really feeling like they don't want to be in the industry anymore. But the tide is turning. I, I would also say that I think as you said, it is about holding people accountable. Um, there are the number of stories I could tell of people making offhand comments and not realizing that that was part of the problem. And I think part of it is, is holding those people accountable. You don't necessarily need to get angry at them because sometimes it is just about education and they don't realize that they're having unconscious bias or, or making inappropriate comments, things like that. So I think part of it is not making people feel uncomfortable about bringing up the fact that those are inappropriate and also standing by the people that do speak up. I think that is a huge thing because by encouraging that and creating a new culture, that is how we can slowly start to change, shift, like move the needle. Um, but I think it's, it's little bit by little bit, changing people and the way that they think and the way that they approach things. Um, I was just going to say one thing about mentorship too. Um, one way that we, um, you know, had, had an inclusive crew on our set was that our um, EP and screenwriter uh, Johnny McAllister. He also he leads the film program at Texas State, so he was able to bring on some uh, interns that were primarily people of color to come and work on the set, um, and he was also a mentor for them during the production. Which you know I think. It's hard when you're, you know, there's so many things to balance when you're, when you're shooting and so many challenges, but he was able to kind of be there for them as they were in, you know, they're in this entry level. They're, most of them was their first time ever being on a professional film set. Um, and I think that that, him being a mentor there really helped them not only kind of have a good experience, but also just like learn the skills and learn just kind of like, just get like a broader kind of sense of what it was all about and why people did it. And, and most of them went on to form relationships with our crew members so that they could then move on and get other work. Um, so some of them moved to New York and like 
you know, one of our interns moved to New York and stayed with our gaffer, you know, when he first got there to get his like feet on the ground. And so I think that that is definitely, especially in those entry level, it's not just like bringing on someone who's has no experience, but really having someone there who can really be there for them and kind of help them kind of navigate that the world and the production. Um, I just wanted to very briefly talk about some practical things that we do, just in case that's helpful. So we have um, Trainee Finder, which is where we recruit trainees looking at skills gaps and shortages. We normally have about, um, say, 70 in film and it's about 70 in high-end TV. We're doubling that this year. We have another initiative called Skills to Film, where the intention is really to look at studio hubs and work with a local population and encourage them and ask them, would they consider roles in films? And this is anything from being a carpenter, a plasterer on set. So again, you're opening it up to the local population, social diversity, as well as inclusion in the broader sense. And the final thing we also do is we have an initiative called Make a Move, where you help people progress from one step to another. And I'll give you an example. This is, again, a TV example. For instance, Les Miserables, which is the Andrew Davis adaptation, one of the episodes was produced by someone who had never produced before. We enable that step up. So these are all practical things we do to enable inclusion to happen, all of it embraced by industry, because again, I said everything we do is done by practitioners. I just thought it's helpful to share the good practice we have. That's great. It'd be good to have that in the US, right? Um, <laughs> um, I was just going to also, this is a sort of a side note, but from what we've been discussing, I think one of the other things for me is just as it's important for it to be the trickle-down effect and for us to have cast and crew that are diverse and inclusive, I also feel like there is a responsibility for us as filmmakers to put our uh, money where our mouth is, so to speak, in terms of what we view and the content that we're consuming. For me, a lot of it is also that if we can show that there is a market and there is an audience for content created by diverse people, then, you know, as, as you, it, so I sort of came up when well, you mentioned that you were like, it, it on paper doesn't seem like something that's going to sell. But if we can show that there is an audience for it, then suddenly that shifts that and that changes the whole industry in terms of will investors invest? Because for them, if there is no audience, what, they don't know that they're going to recoup their money. So as a result, they don't want to invest in the project. So it's harder for those projects to then get off the ground in the first place. But Absolutely. if you can show that there's an audience, it helps those films get programmed in festivals, which helps them get sold. It helps distributors know that there is people out there for it. There's an audience. I think that is also really important to not just when you're creating the films, but also on the back end, be supporting your peers and those projects by going out and, and showing that, you know, people want to see these stories, people want to see these filmmakers and their work. Are there any positions on the crew that is just, you struggle with um, having, being inclusive, that you just like, can white guys just, just keep coming up only? <laughs> uh, is, you know, I just, I, I really want to understand that. I think for, for me in, in the US, a lot of the unions just traditionally are, a lot of white men. And so when you start going to union jobs, the people that are experienced, the people that have been working for 20, 30 years in the industry are inevitably white men. Um, so I think that that is part of the, the issue and that is why it's about working with those more experienced players that are also aware that they need to bring on and they need to crew up with people and give them those opportunities. So I'm very conscious of, if I'm gonna work with a male DP, I wanna know that it's a DP that understands that he has a role in choosing who his crew is. And yes, finding the right person for the job and finding the right people, but it's, it's about also giving opportunities and sometimes the right person is is a woman or a person of color or someone who's queer. It's like it's a it's a matter of finding people that understand that. I think the issue is sometimes when you work with people that don't do that, they just go to the the good old team that they've always worked with. To me, I think that's where you sort of stagnate. So I think alongside the great work that Screen Skills is doing, we also have BFI Film Academy, which has been going for seven years now. We've got an alumni of 7,000 people. 
and the dropout rate of people not working in film anymore is only 5%. So what we do is we work with the Department of Education and we go into schools and we do a residential course and we take people who are really talented and we're explaining all the different roles, like this is what a clapper loader does. Because I think a lot of people, we have made it really difficult, I'm quoting Amanda now, to jump through the screen. You know, we haven't really explained all the brilliant roles that there are to work within as crew. And this is a program that's worked really successfully for seven years and we've got a partnership with Lucasfilm. So they're taking on 30 of our trainees and they're going directly in to really brilliant roles like uh, assistant producer and really kind of... And are they getting paid for these? Yeah. So, you know, and it's been really brilliant actually because Lucasfilm found it so successful, but most of those people have gone on to further films with them. So, you know, it's a really good example when you explain the roles that are out there and explain that there's more because a lot of people think it's just writer, producer, director. You can actually really get this incredibly talented cohort of people through. And Ben, what about what positions have you struggled with? Um, well, I'm sort of, <laughs> I think because we're, we're independent um, and uh, we're kind of smaller in, in some ways, um, that might make things easier because um, we get to see a lot of different types of people come up for the job. So I wouldn't say there's anything in specific. I mean, I know sort of from my time directing commercials and working in advertising, which was, you know, a long time, um, that, um, you know, predominantly you get, you, you'd get a kind of weird gender spit where like a lot of the producers were female and then a lot of the creative and kind of um, a lot of the kind of more physical jobs were men and what's been really nice about now moving into film is that actually a lot of the people that we see you know are it's a complete mix-up um and but uh, i chose my dp on the basis that we shot lots of commercials together and i needed that shorthand because it was my debut feature and i couldn't give it up i saw two other dps one who was female one who was a person of color they were both amazing and that was the hard thing but like now they're both in my head and we have a lot of other productions so it's like uh, right you know consistently thinking well look um there was a very practical reason not to make that choice on this occasion but i know that it would have both done an amazing job and i was quite sad not to be able to sort of take that take that chance so, um, but I think it really comes down to three, three things, um, money, environment, and support. And if you can, you know, just have those three simple things in your head, and, and we try and make sure that our sets are very kind of flat in terms so of their structure. So explain money, environment, and support. What, what, am, what do you mean by that? So money? money in terms of um, uh, making sure that you are paying um, people equally for doing the same job. Okay. and a commitment to that and you know w w and I should qualify that by saying with within whatever you can afford because you know we all know that there's different scales at work here um environment um you know we're very conscious of I have a family three sons who are little and um you know uh my wife also works full-time and so you know I'm we share we have to share childcare, and I think you know when I look at I was a um Edinburgh University with Hope Dixon Leach and and what they're doing in trying to create sort of safer friendly environments on set and like bringing families into the picture I think is really healthy you know I'm you can I you're away for like two three months at a time and everybody wants to see their kids don't they everybody wants to have some kind of flexibility so just trying to build in a nice working environment you know no nobody's entitled to make a film you know, it's hard for everybody. Um, uh, and um, it's also a great privilege. Um, it's it's got to be enjoyable. Um, and then support, I think, is about, it kind of doubles up with leadership. It's about seniority. It's about getting up there at the beginning and saying, this is how we're going to do it. This is who we are. If you don't like it, you know, there are plenty of people that will come and work with us on this basis. And, you know, um, whilst you're on set, if there's any kind of sniff of, you know, inappropriate or bad behavior, be that 
mental, physical, <laughs> or what have you, you stamp out immediately. You as a director or your producer comes in and that person is out. And we, we have like a, a no strike rule. I mean, you know, you, you're either one of the gang and you're doing it right or you're out. So I think you just have to be tough as well, you know, and, and, and it works. Yeah, I just wanted to add one more to yours, which I would say is data. And the reason I say data is ours is such a fragmented freelance workforce. You've referred to that. Uh, so knowing what the skills gaps are, what the job shortages are, is quite helpful because you can then look at those and think, how do I open up those roles and make sure that a vacancies uh, applications are really inclusive. So we do this every quarter and do have a look because it's really helpful. And a lot of the skills gaps and shortages you see in film cross over into high-end TV because a lot of people move between those two. But what's been helpful is um, you made the point about unions. I think what's helped us is that we've looked at certain roles, GRIPS as an instance, and we worked with the armed forces and we have an initiative called GRIPS for Heroes. And that enables people to transfer over. Or for example, we've looked at women returners and thought visual effects, is there a scheme we can enable that? And then Jen talked about the excellent work the BFI Academy do. We're working with the BFI Academy to say, are there people who've come from there and could there be a pathway for them, really great people into what we do, Trainee Finder? So how do we join up brilliant initiatives so you enable, my point about it is stickiness, how do you enable progression? Because you can do great stuff, but how do you enable people to move up? And then what we've done is scaffolded all around mentoring and bursaries. Because if people need help, and again, with social inclusion, that's important, you enable bursaries, and again, mentoring. But all linked to job roles and shortages. Because again, there's no point in the nicest way. You may want to be a director, but sometimes there are many steps to becoming a director. And learning all the other craft roles makes you a better director. So use it, leverage it, embrace it. You, you know, that's what we try and do. Last question before we go, uh, take audience questions. You know, I think we're talking a lot about indie film here, and the thing I hear from um, really high-profile directors is once once more money enters into the conversation, women and people of color disappear. So how do we um, keep? I mean, it's what you're talking about, progression. But, you know, the big budget people are like, well, they're not in the unions, they're not on the list, they're not on this, they're not on that, and so I can't hire any of them. And, and then they just kind of shrug, and it's like, there's nobody there. There's nobody qualified. Um, you know, what, what, do, what do you guys think of that? How do we change that mindset? What information can we give them to make better decisions? Um, I've, I've had people, you know, talk to other folks, but it's like, we need to give them the actual things to do. Jen? So <laughs> every, everything that we've built is scalable. So when we're talking about the bullying and harassment guidelines and principles, we work with the PGA actually in America on consistency of language. You know, it works on a big budget production with a massive crew or it works on a small independent documentary that's, you know, shot on the Isle of Man. That's the whole point. Same with the standards. These are, and I don't use the word initiatives because I think it sounds really, you know, transient. What we're trying to do is create infrastructure change within the industry. So these are permanent interventions that give people the uh, tools and rules to work within to change their behaviors essentially change what they do so you know yes we are talking with the studios as well as um, uh, smaller independent uh, companies and Paramount have signed to our diversity standards as well so you know Lucasfilm being a really good example taking on 30 trainees from the film academy and building that pipeline so there are examples of how we're working very constructively with the bigger players as well as smaller and medium independents but we get that in a really complex uh, working environment you have to have things that are really simple and everyone has to find their way to connect with what you're doing and echoing what Sita says about consistency. Having loads and loads of activity and stuff is not helpful. Right. People want us to be joined together as an industry and that's why it really matters that BAFTA have been so supportive on both these pieces of work that 43 organizations, including all the unions, Directors UK as well as PACT behind the guidance and the principles, for example, and more people coming on board with the standards all the time. Danny, we want to talk about money and... Uh how inclusion disappears? Um, I mean, I don't feel very qualified to talk about that, but what, what I would say, again, is about um, this marriage of 
legislation and um, best practice plus self-policing. And you wanna, you've got to go to the studios. You've got to, I mean, I know very big successful directors um, and it's not good enough to say, look, my hands are tied. Um, you just got to be committed to doing it. And, you know, the more that I think you can um, legislate or push people into that area, the better it is going to be for them, whether they realize that or not. Um, so I think it's a sort of, you know, carrot, carrot and stick approach. Um, it should be, but, you know, the, the players should be doing it themselves. So if you guys didn't have anything to add to that, we'll take a couple questions from the audience, if there are any. Hi, my name is Lioba. I am based in Berlin, Germany. I'm an actress. Um, thank you, first of all, for putting up this panel discussion. I feel there's just not enough uh, events focusing on diversity, on inclusivity in Cannes. And when we look at the films, there's a lot of problems there as well. So thank you, thank you very much for this. Um, I have a question about you know, finding your people. I'm an actress and I'm also a passionate intersectional feminist and the emphasis is on the intersectional part. Now, I'm only interested really in political films as an audience member, as an actress. I wanna work in films that matter, that have a message, but I also wanna work in an environment with people that are aware I want to work in an environment where I don't have to explain things. I do keep running mostly into people, especially in Central Europe, I have to say, where when you raise a certain issue or you speak up, you're seen as complicated, as difficult, as make, making things a bigger issue than they are. And I'm, I don't want to swallow things. I don't, I don't want to just say, okay, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just accept that and I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut for now. I don't want to do this. Other than meeting very, very great people here in Cannes, so other than networking once a year in Cannes and um, meeting the right people, what's your advice on finding your gang? <laughs> How do you find your tribe? I mean, that's hard. I mean, I think, you know, I, I do think that, yeah, some part of it has to do with the work itself and, and kind of trying to find you know, searching for those, I know there's a lot, there's a, such a thriving industry in Berlin for film and, um, you know, I, when we were, you know, looking for collaborators for our film, I just went and I tried to find films that were in a similar vein, that had a similar approach, that had, you know, something that, uh, you know, whether it was like working with real people or like stylistically or, you know, just as far as like who the director was, it, I think it's just kind of a research game as far as like, okay, this is like this person's making something that's interesting. And then I think it's when you're when you do find some certain people, you can kind of try to expand through them and and uh, try to find. Uh, um, I think everyone just kind of gravitates towards each other who have these same ideas and these same you know interests in in filmmaking. So. I know that's not really helpful, but okay. <laughs> the, there's a message on my T-shirt. Yeah, and I need to time, know where you got this, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely talk to me afterwards. But I think increasingly one of the messages that came out in terms of being involved with Times Up and setting it up in the UK was feelings of isolation and feeling like, oh, I can't raise these issues. And it's something that we deliberately built in to our guidance about not enabling a kind of bystander culture where if people are able to speak up and connect, that it moved the culture forward. So I would definitely talk to you afterwards about how you can- Starting at Time's Up Berlin. But yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm hearing voices like yours more and more. You know, I'm hearing people saying, I don't want to take that role anymore. I don't want to perpetuate that stereotype. I'm not prepared to work in that environment anymore. So it is coming, but I'll definitely connect with you after. Rachel? I, I will also say you should definitely speak up. And I think the people that stand by you and the people that criticize you for you speaking up is also a really good indicator of who you should continue to work with. Um, because as I said, I think we, we need to stand by people that will not stand for things that are inappropriate. Um, I, I would also say in terms of finding your tribe, I think part of it is 
meeting people, but also seeing who they are also in the tribe with. If you connect with them, the chances are that you'll probably connect with the people that they know as well. So it's taken time, but I've noticed that my tribe in the US has grown. Monique and I have known each other for a few years now, but it's also, we're all part of the larger same tribe. And while we may not be working on a, on a project together right now, who knows that whether in 10 years time, we may or may not. But in the meantime, I might say to Monique, hey, there's this wonderful person that you should work with, and that might start something, or she might suggest the same to me. So I think it's about, even if it starts as a small tribe to begin with, it can grow. And just surround yourself with the people that think the way that you do. And I think that'll make your work more enjoyable because you're with people that think, you know, that, that will stand by with you and support you when you want to speak up about something. Oh, I just want to also quickly say there's a lot of Facebook groups now, actually, and private Facebook groups where people are using that as a network and a way to um, just connect, like with you know, with like-minded individuals. So I think, um, yeah, that's a, that's also a really good way. I was just going to say that there are great organizations. I think it's really important not to be isolated and to join organizations. We've got Directors UK here. Women in film are all around the world. There's a great woman called Nicole Ackerman who runs WIFT in Germany. Um, we're really lucky in the UK because we've got equal representation for actresses. We've got all sorts of things. And if it doesn't exist, start it, okay? Hi, I'm Tash, I'm from Directors UK. I was wondering if the panel had a view on the professionalization of the industry in the sense of more transparent and formal hiring practices. Because we've talked about when you're greenlit late, you've got a very compressed time to crew up. But when we're talking about the bigger budget films that are being planned for two years, you know, big studio things with, with huge budgets, I think there is, there is arguably space to be transparent in the way that you hire and the way that you bring crew on. So I was wondering if the panel have any thoughts about that. I have thought, I mean, I know it's very opaque and slippery, and I think um, on the finance side as well. So it, people have just got to hold their hands up and do it. And you can't, you can't force people to publish that data, and I don't think you will ever be able to, but I think you can make them feel uncomfortable to the point where they have to. And that's what I would advocate. I would just, you know, I would make it, I would make it a, moral, a moral issue. And at that at that point, you know, you can you could probably get a critical mass where you you just need one one probably studio or one big person to break rank and do it um, for for others to follow. So I, I think it's about you know genuinely just keeping up the pressure um, and and demanding it and and eventually hopefully making them feel like it's the right thing to do. I I, I think you know that might sound a bit woolly because. Um, I don't know how you compel people to do it, unfortunately. Uh, I'm just wondering a bit about um, databases, because uh, I think the Swedish Film Institute backs one for Nordic women working above and below the line. There's a new database from Victoria Emsley from Times Up UK that's launching today called Primetime. Um, in the UK, we have something like the British Blacklist that Akua has put together. Um, can those be helpful, or are people just going to hire from their personal networks anyway? Or is there a way to join all those up? Yeah, so they can be helpful, and um, we're working with Victoria and Akua really, really closely, actually, in terms of the databases that they're building, and the BFI have a resources hub, which is attached to the diversity standard, so when you do get the question, and people said, look, I don't know where to go, and I really want to hire inclusively, that you can point them to these resources, so yeah, absolutely, there's power in us being that glue and connecting you know, these pieces of work and being able to kind of put people in the right direction when they exist. And we have a, a list of all the databases on women in Hollywood. Okay. So if there's any more databases to add to the list of the databases, <laughs> yeah. we just, yeah. you know, it's basically says click databases. Um, yeah, so please share them with us and 
It's just one click. Uh, and we actually, all the alumni who come through us, we, they all have screen skills profiles. And actually, we've built up quite an amazing alumni network. And because inclusion is at the heart of everything we do, quite an inclusive alumni. So I think your point about joining it all up. So at least it's out there and people can access it. And we so even non-alumni can look at the list of your well, alumni? I, I think everybody should yeah. be able to look at our alumni list because these are good people. They deserve a chance. And likewise, any other list databases that are put up, so long as they've got the right skills and talent, obviously that's key, then yes, definitely. And I, I think the more we can all work together, that would be brilliant. So we're going to kind of close. If um, Did anyone, I mean, I just wanted to kind of give some closing thoughts. This is work, you know. This is part of the work that people do. And once people get it in their heads, this is part of the everyday life of working in this industry and hopefully every other industry, then it just, you build it into your schedule and it's part of how you do. But remember that it is work. And so we all have to do it. And um, onward. Right? Yeah. Thank you all. Yeah.